0: Hi, welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm Russ Hayworth, and I'm a family business advisor, as well as the host of this show. In each episode, you'll find informative and engaging conversations with experts from around the world, covering a range of topics relevant to family businesses and family offices. The show is supported by Family Business UK, the largest organization in the UK dedicated solely to supporting, representing, and championing family business. To find out more about their work and how to become a member, visit their website, familybusinessuk.org right let's get on with the show well hello and welcome to this week's episode of the family business podcast i am joined today on the show by our friend fiona graham Um, the eagle eared amongst you we will have noticed that in the introduction to the podcast, we are supported by Family Business UK as opposed to the Institute for Family Business. The good news is that it's the same people, but there have been a rebrand. And I'm excited to talk to Fiona about that rebrand. But firstly, Fiona, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And I guess the starting point is talk us through the rebrand tell us about family business uk
1: so as you said um up until last summer we were the institute family business and we had been since about 2001 when we were founded by a group of family owners who wanted somewhere to talk to each other about kind of the common challenges that come along with running a family business and through the years we've you know um develops as an organisation to introduce more formal learning and networking and support. And then also um, to kind of really take on a role championing uh, and representing the family business sector and what they need from policymakers in particular. And what the rebrand... Um, was meant to kind of really help us signify and and solidify is our change as an organisation to become more of a movement for family businesses. Um, We are absolutely passionate about the essential role that family businesses play in the economy, but also play in our communities. And um, we wanted to make sure that that was better understood by politicians and policymakers particularly, but also by the general public, the media, by kind of those who offer services to businesses. And um, this was part of this move to be Family Business UK was part of our move to um, kind of really step up our, our work on the advocacy side of things. But as we alongside that we are also continuing to do many of the things that we did as the institute for family business supporting family businesses providing a safe space for them to get together but we've also added on some additional kind of um streams to what we do so we've launched a whole load of communities which are designed for peers of different roles to get together so we have a very successful um, and active community for the chairs of family businesses we have a next gen community and they're going to be going off on a retreat um in march um we have one now for non-family which is kind of growing all the time for non-executive directors um and we've also launched kind of master classes for family businesses as well which are open to family business uk members or non-members so there's lots that's coming um that's been developed alongside the rebrand. It's not just a change in name, it is a change in our ambition and our kind of commitment to making, as I said, making this movement of family businesses where we all have a role to play in making sure that this sector is kind of understood and championed and celebrated and gets the recognition that it deserves.
0: And as well as Family Business UK um, being rebranded, your job titles change slightly as well. Can you um, sort of explain to people your role and how that's evolved and changed uh, as part of the kind of um, newer uh, impetus that Family Business UK are taking?
1: Yeah, so my new role is Chief Advocacy Officer. Essentially, my job is to be the person who goes out there and um make sure that particularly politicians and policymakers are uh, recognizing and understanding how important family businesses are and that they're engaging with them. And with the election coming up, you know, it's a very important busy year for um po- you know for for the political side of things and making sure that as all politicians go into the election, they understand that family business is absolutely essential to, central to our future success as a country if we want to grow if we want the want people to have good quality work if we want our communities to thrive we need to make sure that family businesses have the support and the policies and the regulation to ensure that they can thrive for the long term Um, and that's what my kind of day job is essentially.
0: Fantastic and um, slightly tongue-in-cheek but I'm grateful for the new job title because I remember reading out your previous one uh, (laughs) on an episode and um, for me it was a bit of a tongue twister so this one uh, certainly makes it uh, more straightforward so I'm (laughs) grateful that's obviously the reason you did it is to make my life easier.
1: Obviously that was it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the key elements and one of the key bits of output that we've seen Uh, recently from Family Business UK is your 2024 manifesto. And I'm keen to explore a little bit of that with you um, during this conversation. But as a kind of starting point, can you help us understand the ambition for the 2024 manifesto and what it is that you're uh, looking to achieve from it?
1: So going into the election year, we wanted to be out very early with our manifesto. So we published that last November. And we've been using that and the policy recommendations within that to have conversations with the various teams in various parties who are writing the manifestos for the next election. And essentially what we wanted to do was bring together in as clear and as straightforward um, and easy to digest way some of the key things that we need um, to do to see from the next government to ensure that family businesses can thrive. Because there's lots of policy ideas kind of being thrown around by lots of different people. And we really wanted to say, look, very clearly, this is why this sector deserves a voice. So it's got some of the stats around the fact that family businesses provide employment for about 14 million people, that they pay over £200 billion in tax um, a year, so it's got the stats in there to kind of demonstrate why family businesses are so important. But then it's got the policy recommendations in there. And we've been using that document to go out and talk to politicians, to manifesto teams, to people within the civil service as well, <clears throat> to say, this is what family businesses need. And really the core under- underlying message from our manifesto is, we need to be thinking about the long term. There's been a lot of very short term making over the past six years, particularly. And we need to make sure that we are not overlooking some of the big structural issues, but also the things that are going to allow family businesses to plan for the long term, because they have such a long term outlook. Government should be trying to support them with that because that's a real positive. Um, so it was really about trying to synthesize it as clearly as possible so that we could engage as many politicians and policymakers as possible To make sure that family businesses have a really strong voice going into this election and that their needs are really kind of at the heart of the thinking about what business needs from for the future
0: fantastic and i know one of the topics we're going to come on and cover a little bit later on in this chat is the fact that not only is an election year but we have a, a budget coming up so we'll come back to a couple of those points um, when we speak about that. But focusing uh, again within the manifesto itself, what are some of the key areas that you're focusing on within that manifesto?
1: So we've broken this down into three key areas. The first is people. Um, family businesses understand that people at the heart of everything the business does and they try extremely hard to look after their people, treat them well, provide them with good quality jobs, long-term career options. Um, But there are challenges around the skills um, environment and how um, business can access that and what's available. So we have made some recommendations around people that talk around how we can particularly improve this um, apprenticeship levy because I think it's widely recognized that the apprenticeship levy in its current form is not working. It's very, very hard to kind of make use of all of the money that goes into the pod. It's quite restrictive. It's not working in the way that it needs to. And our recommendation is that that is replaced with a future skills fund, which would be far more flexible and allow businesses to use some of the money that they are paying into the apprenticeship levy for other kinds of... Of skills training. And what we're thinking about particularly there is those people who are slightly older, who have been in the workforce for quite a long time, but whose jobs are now changing because of digital, you know, adoption within businesses or because of the transition to the green economy, whose jobs are fundamentally changing and they need to reskill and retrain. And we need to help people through that. And we need to help businesses to be able to do that. So that's one of the things that we really want to see. More flexibility for lifelong learning support, and also so that people can get the training they need as their j- jobs evolve and as they want to move up um, within the business. It's there has been a really um, a really big focus on apprenticeships, but I feel that. the the pure focus on apprenticeships when we talk about skills has kind of sucked some of the air out of the skills debate and the skills discussion. And everything has been looking at that. And there are clearly huge issues in some industries, you know, in construction, there's a huge skills gap coming um, if we don't train more people in some really important trades. Um, But skills is bigger than that. And we are all going to be working for longer. Um, And so we need to support people through their career and and make sure they continue to have the skills training they need throughout their career, however long they work. The second area that we're looking at is growth, which obviously (laughs) both the Conservatives and Labour have said is really kind of core to what they're going to be talking about going to the election. And everybody agrees we need to economic growth we've had a huge amount of disruption over the past kind of four or five years um and it's now the time to try and kind of unleash some of the growth that's maybe been held back through some of that disruption so we want to see things like a very clear long-term industrial strategy um there have been industrial strategy in in strategies in the past have come and gone, but we need something long-term and we need the next government to stick to it. We also want to see with that business tax roadmap so that business has some certainty around what potential tax changes are coming, but also to rule out things that maybe aren't because with constant speculation about every tax at the moment, it's very, very unsettling for business to kind of know what direction anything might be coming in. We also, we did call in our manifesto for um, the full expensing regime to be made permanent we obviously saw good news around full expensing at the autumn statement we want both parties to um commit to if they are the next government that that will you know remain in place um we also really want to be looking alongside that kind of looking at investment through a family business lens the way that families access finance the way that they think about investment how they fund their investment is different to other businesses and the and that isn't kind of recognized in policy at the moment so we want to see some movement on that and then my one of my areas of particular interest is around mid-sized businesses and at the moment mid-sized businesses in the uk tend to fall between the gaps in policy making they are badged together with small businesses um, and we have lots of uh, interventions for small businesses, and there are interventions and kind of policy specifically designed for very large businesses. But mid-sized businesses have their own set of challenges, and just putting them in a in the kind of uh, putting them together with small businesses is not the right way forward. Because what well, a company of ten employees. Is dealing with and the support that they need compared to a company of 300 employees are going to be very different things. And if you look at Germany and the Mittelstand, those are majority family owned companies, um, they are very successful. And we think that there's a huge potential to unleash within the mid sized sector, which is just kind of being overlooked because it doesn't sit anywhere naturally within making, So we really want to see the next government commit to a mid-sized business strategy that specifically looks at the challenges that mid-sized businesses are facing and then what can be done to overcome them and support them to grow. And then finally, the third section we're looking at is ownership. And for family businesses, this is the thing that unites um, a lot of, a lot of um, what they think around, around the policy side of things. So family businesses are all sizes they come um they are in all sectors but the thing that unites them is that family ownership and we know from our conversations with family businesses that the number one issue they talk to us about is inheritance tax and business property relief and making sure they can successfully pass the business on without a significant tax charge so obviously (laughs) within our um within our uh manifesto one of our absolute central ask is maintain business property relief in full um, and ensure that family businesses can continue to successfully transfer between the generations. Within that, we've got a recommendation as well about slightly altering the regime to account for joint ventures so that businesses that have joint ventures aren't um, uh, aren't in a worse position when trying to claim BPR, which some of them are at the moment. And then we've also want to see some alignment between business property relief and business asset handover relief uh, so that businesses um, don't have to reach such a high trading test to pass over shares during lifetime, which some of them struggle with and can mean that people put off lifetime handover of shares. Because of the tax regime, where actually we think tax shouldn't be a consideration when you're planning your succession. That shouldn't be what you're thinking about. It should be about when's the best time for the business and the family for that transfer to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the areas that I'm curious about, or or having read through this and obviously understanding your role and and knowing how active you are uh, within it, is how are these kind of conversations going down with the parties that you're speaking with um, as a result of that? Have you had the opportunity to kind of present this to them and get some feedback?
1: Yes. So we've spoken to uh, representatives uh, in the Conservative Party, in Labour, in the Liberal Democrats and in the SNP, and we've had very positive conversations with everybody. I think what's really important is that we view... This that policymakers view business and family business in particular as some as an organ as a group of people that they can work with who have a common aim. You know what politicians want to see is growth um, in the economy and employment, and they want to see people having happier, healthier lives. That is what family businesses want (laughs) want to see too, and so it's really important that they see us as an important partner. In developing this, um, and it's not adversarial at all. Um, we have had very positive conversations. I think, particularly, what we are trying to get through to pol- uh, politicians around family businesses as a leading example of responsible business is really resonating with them, um, and they can see that what we say, what we say about these are businesses based in communities that are employing people that are thinking for the long term, they can see that happening in businesses in their own constituency. So what we try and do is really kind of bring it to life with real life examples of what actual businesses are doing, as well as the kind of here is what the model generally does. And we've had very positive and encouraging conversations. Um, It will always be Uh, a a challenge to get specific asks (laughs) into party manifestos because there's so many competing things. And particularly this year, what we're hearing from all the parties is they're really trying to have slimmed down manifestos. So it may be that just because something isn't in a manifesto doesn't mean they're not going to do it. It might be that, you know, we're having other conversations with um, specific teams as well. So, you know, I've been talking to business ministers, shadow business ministers, we're talking to shadow treasury, um, And those conversations will carry on until the election, whether that and beyond. You know whether the election is sooner rather than later, and we still very much don't know when it's going to be. Although everybody has their own theory, Um, that we'll be continuing these conversations and continuing to build on them. Um, And you know, and this set then sets the groundwork for us when the next whoever comes in as the next government for us to get off from, you know, from the start and say, look, we've spoken mm. to you about this, you know how important this is, now let's get things done.
0: Yeah, and I guess one of the challenges that can be faced here, and it's great to hear that the conversations have been really positive, is that I guess there are kind of the natural inclination to put things into sectors. So you've got a retail sector, you've got a hospitality sector, you've got a services sector and family business kind of transcends all of that and covers all of those different sectors so it's helping politicians and policy makers understand that that stability as you say and, and what you, you mentioned at the outset about how unstable and how um much there's been in terms of change over the, the last six years that actually adopting something that is across all of those different sectors as an ownership model, as a model for business, is positive for everybody. But it takes that distinction away from it just being a retail sector focus or a services sector focus. Again, you're hearing sort of positive noises that there is recognition that family businesses are such a large proportion of uh, the economy and, and local communities that it is beneficial for them to think in this way.
1: Yeah. And I think, so I've been with what is now Family Business UK for about 10 years. Um, And so talking to politicians about family business for that whole time. And I have definitely seen a shift towards understanding that the family business sector is an important, unique thing that requires a different approach and different thinking. And as you say, you're absolutely right. You know, A lot of policymaking is made either by industry sector or by size or even by startup scale up, you know, that kind of where are you on your life cycle. And family businesses can be any of those things. So it makes it quite it has made it quite difficult for um people within, you know, the business department say, well, where do, where do we put these people? Who do they talk to? Um, but we are seeing really good progress on that. And people talking about family business as a concept, as a, something that is different, is unique, is thriving as well. Because certainly at the start when I joined, I felt like a lot of the conversations I was having with people were, oh, family business, yeah, that's something we used to have. That's a nice, you know, that was a nice thing. And now you can go in and say, well, no, it's not a used to have. It's here, you know, it's a thriving sector. There are incredibly passionate people. You know, the next generation are super interested in these businesses. They have a great future ahead of them. Um, and so it is very positive. I mean, we we were at number 10 just before Christmas, um, talking kind of with a group of other, so with the employee ownership association, with um the Self-Employed Association and some others to kind of go in and say, you know, government, you need to hear from a diversity of business types and sizes and you can't just always hear from the very large people or the people you always hear from or listed companies. You have to hear from the full range of them because we all have a very different set of challenges. But also for example, on an issue like prompt payment, <laughs> what small businesses think about prompt payment and what very large businesses feel about prompt payment might be wildly different things. And if you only listen to one of those groups, you're not going to make the right decisions necessarily. So, um, so yeah, it's, we'd, I definitely feel that there has been big progress made on kind of the recognition that family business is its own thing and it has its own needs and we need to kind of listen and, and take account of that.
0: Uh-huh. And it'd be interesting, so this year obviously um in the next twelve months i think is the it has to be by january next year in the u k um there is going to be a general election and i saw something from the world economic forum that this year there's something like um the most number of uh, democratic votes um in twenty twenty four than than we've ever seen so outside of the u k there's likely to be potential changes um and uh that can either bring more uncertainty or hopefully a bit more certainty and uh, stability to to the world. Uh, And particularly within the the election kind of periods, there can be um, sort of political statements and we're expecting a budget um, this year uh, in March. And so I'm keen to kind of understand your thoughts on given that it's an election year, given that it's uh, a potential opportunity to try and uh, woo voters, shall we say? What do we need to know heading into the next few months and uh, the budget in particular?
1: So I think it's absolutely right to frame this budget in the context of we are not that far away from an election because anybody who is hoping for long-term structural changes within this budget to out long term outstanding issues that require kind of huge overhaul or a redesign of certain parts of the tax system or whatever I think you're probably going to be disappointed I think the there are the shoots of economic recovery and uh, aside from the inflation figure kind of bump in the road this week but um But people still are not feeling that necessarily in their own pockets, in their own personal finances. And I think what we will see from this budget will be the Chancellor doing lots of things or pulling different levers to try and make people feel that that economic recovery is um, kind of felt in their own personal finances. So there has been speculation this week. Uh, and last week about potentially more changes to income tax to see if that can potentially do something. The government is obviously hoping that people will start to feel some of the benefit of the reduction in national insurance by the time the election comes, so they'll maybe feel that they've got a bit more cash around. Um, And I think that we will really be looking at those kind of money in your pocket issues rather than long-term structural things. There are clearly, you know, campaigning, even though we're not in the official election period, the campaigning is already underway. Um, and in fact, the the talks with the civil service that can happen between the opposition and the civil service before an election, the prime minister gave the green light for that and Keir Starmer has written to the civil service to start those. So we are very much in the kind of election campaign and rundown period. Um so i think that that's that's really what we will expect to see now there have been hints of changes around business tax the chancellor has been it's been suggested that he's been saying that he would like to do something around business taxes without any kind of detail specifically on what that might be um and then the big kind of issue that was well trailed ahead of the autumn statement has been speculated about in relation to the conservative manifesto has been specul- and is very much something that we're getting questions about at the moment is speculation about IHT inheritance tax and what might happen. Could it be that the Chancellor either reduces the rates, increases the thresholds, or scraps it completely? Um, ahead of uh, in the budget ahead of the election, um, it's still very much one of those things that there are a group of Tory backbenchers and certainly some, um, newspapers campaigning on quite heavily but it still feels very much like it's really going to depend on where the economic wins at the time are and whether they feel like there are measures that could get them more uh, more votes to be honest through doing something else you know if you did something around income tax is that likely to endear you to more people because more people pay income tax and in- inheritance tax Um, But for family businesses, this is a really important issue because Keir Starmer has explicitly said that if the Conservatives scrap inheritance tax, that the Labour will bring it back in. And there's a long term issue there around if it was reintroduced, would the same reliefs exist in the new regime? And we absolutely need those reliefs from inheritance tax for family businesses. So we are working very closely with many people on this issue to make sure that that message is well understood, that we cannot have a situation where you maybe have six months without inheritance tax and any business that was passed over in that time, you're very lucky that you didn't pay anything at all. But that potentially, you know, you reach a point where shortly after you then have no relief for anybody and that would be really damaging for family businesses and family farming as well. Um, so we're very kind of very engaged in that discussion at the moment and been talking to lots of people about that.
0: Yeah, I guess that's an example as well, isn't it, of the potential positive headlines for some core voters for political parties that scrapping IHT or inheritance tax might bring Versus the need and desire for long-term stability that helps support successful successions. For um, in uh, in our case, uh, what we're interested in is from the family business perspective, uh, and the need in, in this budget potentially to create something that does bring those headlines so that people feel as if um, the uh, the brighter option is, say, the the conservative versus labour, but it it kind of goes against what we were saying earlier about the need for that stability and there to be some predictability about it is this year could potentially be one that is um it is uh, uh, unstable as a result of statements that are made in in the budget so i guess it's how, how do we suggest um families kind of approach these it, it, what what advice are you giving to families as they approach you with these questions about in particular, things like inheritance tax potentially changing.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's very hard because you can't plan for spec. You know, you can't plan based just on speculation. Um, I think the important thing to do is to talk to your advisors um, who you, who you work with, who and understand what your what your position is um, and what the impact of different changes might be, because there are various things that could happen. Thresholds could be increased, you know, various different things. Um, But to just try and understand what the impact of those things would be on you. Um, But I think it is very hard because if people try to preempt a decision that is not by any means guaranteed, then you potentially are doing a lot of work and paying a lot of fees to advisors to do things that then wasn't necessary and you need to undo anyway.
0: And that has happened before, hasn't it? In in terms of inheritance tax, the speculation around inheritance tax seems to constantly be there. And I know from um, my previous experience in the world of um, financial planning and, and wealth management that there were there's always seems to be conversations around how to, to plan for the potential of, of IHT either being scrapped or increased, or it's kind of this um, sort of football that's passed around uh, whenever it comes to, to budgets or autumn statements. And I think the key is to, as you say, remember that this is speculation. So keep informed, keep up to date with what that might be, but be very cautious in terms of jumping the gun on planning when it is um, speculation as opposed to any form of certainty at this stage.
1: And I think one of the things that, as you say, people talk about inheritance tax all the time. There's always somebody running a campaign to scrap it entirely, or and it's often badged as Britain's most hated tax. Um, but a very small number of estates, in in terms of the kind of the whole country, actually pay it. Um, the amount it brings into the Treasury is not a huge amount when you look at other taxes, um, but it is a, a ideological point for certain people. Um, and there has been speculation about, you know, I remember back in 2010, George Osborne was going to put up to the threshold up to a million pounds. He didn't, he introduced a... Um, introduced a, uh, a, a rules around passing your house on instead. Um, but there hasn't, but there haven't been changes to, for example, the, th- the thresholds for a really long time. And so more people are paying it now. And so kind of th- that's another reason that people are saying we've got to get rid of this or we've got to do something with it because more people are being dragged into it. So it, it, I think it will continue to be one of those issues that people talk about But it's often just talked about as though it's a personal tax issue. And for us, one of our key messages around inheritance tax is always this is a business tax for family businesses and family farms as well. You know, this has a real impact uh, on their ability to employ people, invest, you know, all those kinds of things, if they were having to pay a 40% charge on the death of a shareholder. Um, and nobody can plan for when they're going to die. Um, you know, nobody knows that. So you will always plan and be the most cautious for what do I need to need to do to make sure that that wouldn't mean the collapse of my business. And it's, that's kind of something we've really been hammering home is just how clearly this is a business tax issue. It's not just personal tax. We're not just talking about, whether, you know, your grandmother can pass on some money so you can hopefully buy your first home. This is fundamental to employment and growth and investment, and it needs to be viewed in that lens.
0: Mm. Yeah, and um, as we say, hopefully that um, that's all being taken into consideration when they are um, pulling together what they're going to announce in the budget in, uh, in a few weeks' time. Um, we mentioned the uh, autumn statement back in November, but far more importantly, back in November, we saw um, the celebration of Family Business Week, um, <laughs> far more exciting event than the autumn statement. <laughs> but, uh, what were your particular highlights of, of Family Business Week, not of the autumn statement?
1: <laughs> well, they they fell in the same week in the end, so that was quite a fun week for me. Um, <laughs> um So this was our Family Business Week 2023 was our third Family Business Week. Um, We started it as a way to kind of champion and celebrate the family business community, throw some light onto what they're doing um, and celebrate kind of stories from the family business community. And this year we looked at future leaders and we wanted to share stories of some of those kind of inspiring younger people who are preparing to lead or leading their family businesses, who are doing really interesting things and it was such, it really was such a great week and there was so much energy around and we had as part of that, we had six ones to watch who we profiled and shared their stories and some of them were family, some of them were non-family. And what was just really interesting and inspiring was just how much energy and enthusiasm and passion they had for the legacy of the businesses and what had been achieved, but absolutely in building something stronger and better, you know, even stronger, even better um, for the future um, and how much um, passion they had. It was fantastic. So we were down in, we were in Westminster one evening for a reception where we had the business minister and other people along to kind of, you know, over 100 people there celebrating this uh, kind of how important family businesses are, but talking about the manifesto and the long term and how they need to be supported. We had a summit where we got some of the leaders, a lot the ones to watch leaders along to talk about their own experiences and share what their journeys had been. Um, and it was just, it was so encouraging to hear their enthusiasm, but also how happy so many of those younger people were to share their experiences, to help others as well. Like that is one of the things about the family business community, which I think if you don't, if you're not, if you've not been to family business events or um, kind of met up with other family owners, you, I think you would always be surprised at how open people are and how much they want other people to succeed. And that was just such a that was such a fantastic thing to see these young people who some of them, you know, um, would probably think, oh, you know, may think at the start, well, you know, I'm quite early in my journey. I probably don't have anything to share. But actually, when you get into it, they've got huge amounts of insights and were just so willing to kind of help others. It was really it was really fantastic and really inspiring and just so so positive against what has been quite you know such a difficult time for business to look at the future and say actually it really does feel like this sector is in really great hands and there's a lot to be hopeful about.
0: Yeah I think again that it's a a highlight or uh, something that helps to highlight the benefit of peer groups of community and the example you gave of somebody who may not feel as if they have an awful lot to give because of the time or experience that they have as well as finding people who have been through that experience who are happy to share their own um, uh, experiences through that. They'll also find other people who are at similar points or perhaps earlier points of their journey as well. And they'll be able to help others. And the the kind of uniting element that comes with being in a community with fellow family businesses is something that um, is fantastic to see at these events and uh, conferences and Uh, various other things throughout the year but it's that's part of the example of I guess the mission for Family Business UK is to encourage more and more people to come together in those kinds of formats.
1: Yeah and we've talked about this before that you know no family is the same, no business is the same, no one can present you with here are 10 tips to get it absolutely right in family business because it's always going to have to be tailored to what you know, why your family is in business together, what's important for you for the long term, what does your business look like, what changes potentially need to be made. And so coming together with other people and hearing lots of different stories can help you think, okay, well, that that definitely wouldn't work in my family because, you know, my uncle you know, he's not like that at all, or whatever it might be. And you can weave your own path, but with information and insights and kind of go in action, what's relevant to you, but also say, okay, well, I've heard that story and I really want to avoid that outcome. I want to talk to them about why they think it went that way. And people are very, always very willing to talk about the things that went wrong as well as the things that went right, which I think is so encouraging. And one of the things that the, um, as well as the kind of peer network, one of the things that the next, uh, the Next gens and the future leaders that we were talking to talked about as well was how important mentors are. And mentors, not just in your own business, but outside, maybe in, even in a different industry, and how useful it was to have that kind of outside voice to challenge you, but also to provide a perspective that you maybe don't get um, if you're kind of talk- regularly just talking to people in your own industry. Um, and, and how useful they had found that. And that was something I thought was really, really came along really strongly from the conversations I was having with them as well.
0: Yeah. And uh, again, you, you see it at the events that um, you host. And, and one such event is your annual conference. And um, that's coming up this summer. Um, what's the focus of this year's conference?
1: So, yeah, this year's conference is the 5th to the 7th of June in London. Um and the and the title this year is The Faces of Family Business. So it's going to be about people, people, people. So we are going to be looking at kind of people issues um, and the different people that are involved in family businesses from all different angles. So we're going to look at things like um who, you know, who counts as family in this day and age with blended families and kind of increasingly kind of growing families who counts as a family member and and what rights and responsibilities do different family members have within that business and that situation um we're going to be looking at kind of what understanding what the skill sets of your family are not just as individuals but as a group what are the skills that you have what are the skills that you as you as a group of owners are maybe missing and how do you develop those um, around educating the next gen Around non-executive directors, how you recruit them, how you support them, how you onboard them, how you get the right people. We're gonna, we've got a keynote speech from James Reed from Reed Recruitment, who's going to be talking about recruiting and retaining talent, uh, because we know more and more our conversations are how do we get the right non-family people in. Um, so we're also going to be having a conversation about re- reward in relation to non-family and family. You know. What does well, as well as recruiting them how do you reward them because it's a very different setup in a family business than say like a large listed company we're going to be talking about what we were just talking about around how do you build your own network how do you make sure that you have the kind of insights and inputs that you need um you are you are hosting one of our new family business labs russ uh-huh. um on the elephant yeah, in the room um yes and that's all going to be about kind of interpersonal dynamics and dealing with difficult conversations and that side of things um so yeah it's going to be all things people um and, and looking at it from you know there will be things designed for the next generation for the now gen for the kind of senior gen for non-family um and it's open to family businesses who are members of Family Business UK, but also to family businesses who aren't members of Family Business UK. And if you aren't a member, it's a really great way to kind of come and and feel that network and kind of have an introduction to what's going on. Um, and then th- there are also social elements as well. So there are workshops, there are labs, there are plenary sessions, but then there's also lots of time for networking. We have a really great dinner and it's just always an incredibly, open and honest um, uh, kind of event where people share huge amounts and we have all sorts of expert advisors but we hear directly from family businesses as well about what their experiences are so I would strongly encourage everybody to come along and just have a really great couple of days.
0: Yeah I echo that as well I was uh, lucky enough to come along to last year's conference, which was held up in um, Glasgow and just happened to coincide with the hottest day in <laughs> history, I think, uh, in, in Glasgow.
1: It was um, hot, so, it was hot. Yeah, uh,
0: me, me packing my vests um, because I was going to Scotland didn't work out particularly well <laughs> when it was uh, so hot. But the, the real um, sort of beauty in, in those events is not just the sessions, which obviously are hugely valuable and are delivered by um, families themselves sharing those experiences but the conversations that happen between those sessions you could kind of anytime there was a coffee or tea break there is so much conversation and, and uh, interaction happening it's a fantastic community and the one thing that I kind of took away from the event in um, Glasgow I obviously took away more than this, but but one of the key things was people who came along for the first time kind of thinking, I wish I'd done this sooner because it's such mm. a caring and giving community. And so I, again, would echo what you've said, Fiona, in terms of, of people coming along, enjoying the sessions, but also enjoying getting to know other family businesses and, sharing and not feeling shy about coming along if you've got a particular challenge that you want some kind of help and guidance with there's lots and lots of people there who are more than happy to share and I think that's part of the um, kind of huge benefit that you get from those types of events
1: and I think as well people often come as kind of a family group so a couple of people three four people um increasingly, actually, families are bringing not like maybe if they've got a non-family CEO or some of their uh, non-family non-execs, they're bringing them along because actually everybody, depending on their stage, will hear things in a slightly different way. They'll take something away. And it's they say that they find it very beneficial to kind of not go home and say, "Okay, I went to this conference and I'm going to report back on what I heard, actually, to then get together. And you quite often see as you say, in those coffee breaks, you quite often see like family groupings getting together and saying, oh, what did you think of that session? Oh, I thought that was really great. You know, kind of immediately trying to process it, which I think is really nice and means you're coming together to learn as a family. And then one of the things that somebody said to me probably about five or six years ago now, was they said, um, they often feel that because there's so many things going on in the business, they sometimes feel that taking time to kind of think about the family side of things can sometimes feel to them as though they're being selfish. Um, although we know that that's not the case because getting the family harmony, right, getting family purpose, all that stuff is absolutely essential for the future success of the business. But they, they said, that's how they felt that they felt like it was selfish sometimes to take that time to think about the family stuff. So going for two or three days to a conference where that was solely what they focused on they could kind of really because it was a longer form thing they could really think about it clarify their thinking um they said that they found that really really beneficial it gave them the space to think about the things that they needed to think about but sometimes felt that they shouldn't be thinking about because there were so many other things to do um and that really stuck with me about how important it is to kind of have that space to allow yourself to think about these things
0: yeah again completely agree on that and. Again, very strongly advocate for, for people to come along to the conference. And if someone's listening and thinks, yes, that's for me, how how do they find out more about the conference and, and Family Business UK in, in general and the manifesto and everything that we've spoken about today?
1: So if you want to find out more about anything that we're doing at Family Business UK, you can go to familybusinessuk.org. So Family Business UK, all one word dot org Um, and you can find out you can find copies of the manifesto there which you can download if it resonates with you please send it to your mp and let them know because that's a really great way to spread the word about what's going on as well and you can find out information about all the events and masterclasses we have and that's where the information is about conference as well We have an early bird rate running for the conference, which closes on the 14th of February. So if you do want to book for the conference, please do so before then to get the best deal as well.
0: Fantastic. And I look forward to, if not seeing you before, but uh, seeing you at conference. And um, for those families that are listening, who will be coming along as well. Um, It'd be great to see you at the conference uh, in June. Um, Fiona, as ever, it's a real pleasure to have these conversations and to find out about uh, the fantastic work that you guys are doing. Um, So thank you very much for your time and for uh, sharing with the audience.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me back.
0: Thank you for listening. If you found this episode useful, please share it with friends and family. And it would be great if you could leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get found by others who are looking for help and support with owning or running their family business. If you are looking for support with a particular challenge, you can head to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and find out more about how I may be able to help. Until next time, take care.